All right, guys, welcome back to the study of numbers. You know, every book of the Bible, we have a one word. Genesis, we have seed. Exodus, we have deliver. Leviticus, we have atonement. In the book of Numbers, what I love about Mindy's painting, it's pretty obvious what our word is. Kevin, what's our word? Rock. Rock. We have a rock. Our job is to stand on the rock of Christ. Scripture says, and actually in 1 Corinthians 10, it's pretty awesome out in verse 4. It just talks about... Um, you know, the spirit in the wilderness, they had to depend upon, it says, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. We're talking about in the wilderness, the rock of Christ was present. And the craziest thing is, is that's what we're to depend upon, not on ourselves. I mean, think about in Numbers 32, just yesterday, we talked about the Reubenites and the Gadites, or the Gadites and the Reubenites, whichever way they had it. And then you throw in a, a half a tribe of, of Manasseh, and it seemed like they didn't want to depend upon the rock of Christ. They didn't want to depend upon uh, the Lord. They didn't want to depend upon the cloud. They wanted to depend upon, oh, this land looks really good right now. And so they had all these animals. They're like, let's just stay here and be comfortable rather than following the presence of God. And I think that part of that, that the interaction with the two and a half tribes leads to Numbers 33. Honestly, what I see in Numbers 33 verse 1 is that Moses is literally writing down all of the phases, the stages that they've gone through so that they don't try to depend upon themselves. That they don't try to say, I'd rather have my plan rather than God's plan. I'd rather have my own rock that I'm going to make than the rock of Christ that he's giving us. And so in verse 1, it says this, These were the stages of the Israelites' journey. When they went out of the land of Egypt... By their military divisions, remember in Numbers 1, we talked about how the tribes are broken up into their military divisions and they're instructed to go out in order as they lead the way. Now think about this. All of these military divisions fall under the leadership of Moses and the high priest Aaron. And so he says, I want you to write these things down. In verse 2, the Lord commanded Moses. At the Lord's command, Moses wrote down the starting points for the stages of their journey. Now, when you hear starting points, it doesn't mean it's going to fill in every single uh, uh, little blank. You know what I mean? Like if I was to talk about my life and for how old I am, and if I covered when I was five and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30, I would probably leave out some parts when I was 17. I'd probably leave out some parts maybe when I was eight years old. The point is, is that these are the Joshua stones. These are the starting points when God showed up and revealed himself and he got them to the next stage. We're going to cover six cycles today. And I would say a cycle, as Warren Wearsby says, was kind of a, an overarching uh, um, umbrella where there are multiple, multiple stages underneath. And then under each stage, you have little points that we don't even have a clue about. And I think what we see constantly is, is that when God says, I want you to write these things down, you want to know why? It's because the Israelites were constantly forgetful. And he said, please do not forget. Kevin, if you would go to Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, over and over and over, this is what happens to the Israelites. It says, only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves. Why? So that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that you don't slip, that they don't slip from your mind as long as you live. It's very, very important that we don't forget these kind of components. Kevin, if you would go to Deuteronomy 6, verse 12. Deuteronomy 6, verse 12, Scripture just says this, Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. So as you go through the whole wilderness, as you go through 38 to 40 years of wandering, I don't want you to forget I've pulled you out of slavery. I have pulled you out of, of misery. Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Constantly you're going to hear this theme, do not 
forget. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey of these 40 years in the wilderness. On all of these stages, God was with you. Why? So that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. I think for me, I, I forget what I did a year ago on this day. If I didn't have Facebook to remind me, you know this, you think about this, right? Those memories pop up. You're like, wow, that was three years ago. Wow, that was five years ago. Well, God is constantly telling the Israelites, and now he's telling Moses, write these things down so that people do not forget. In fact, I love this in verse uh, Psalm 143, verse 5. Psalm 143, verse 5 is talking about this remembrance. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you've done. I reflect on the work of your hands. Like, I can honestly say, I probably don't go through the week sitting down in my chair saying, oh, what did God do this week? I don't, I don't do that. I'd like to say I do that. And maybe in my car when I re- I'm reflecting back on like, hey, God did something incredible. But my point is, is I, I don't meditate on all that he's done. I don't really reflect on the work of his hands. And I think in some regards, I'm, I'm really not any different than the Israelites because I need to be told, I need to be reminded what God's done in my life constantly. And that's really what God is saying. I want you to write, Moses, I want you to write down all of this journey that we're going to go on because when I'm going to ask you to go into the promised land, you need to remember these things. You need to be able to meditate on all of these things. And guess what? You need to learn what your parents did wrong. You need to learn what your grandparents did wrong. I need you to meditate how I spoke to them so that you can be prepared for a whole lot more. I love this image of remembrance. Uh, you know, we've talked about in the book of Leviticus, How many times about different ways, and even in the book of Numbers, that God has asked the Israelites to remember things? Kevin, what are some things that come to your mind that God says, hey, I want you to remember this? Different feasts that they're supposed to celebrate every year. Yeah, no, think about this. God delivered them from Egypt. He did the Passover. He says, I want you to celebrate this once a year. Absolutely. The festivals, the feast, the feast of the trumpets. I mean, all of these different things. How about the jar of manna? You know, the jar of manna, I want you to remember, I'm going to provide all of the the manna you need. (laughs) Notice he didn't put quail in the Holy of Holies. (laughs) He put the jar of manna. And it was this golden jar because I want you to remember, I I do provide for you. Not only just the the jar of manna. Well, think about over here, you know, the Aaron's rod that that blossomed and bloomed and provided fruit, provided almonds. And now that's going to be in the Holy of Holies, the, the Ten Commandments. All of these serve as reminders of what God's done in their life. I mean, let's go so extreme. You know, the, the, the tassels. How about the tassels? Remember this? They're told to put tassels on them so that they would remember God's covenant, that they'd remember God's instructions, God's ordinances in their life. So constantly they're being reminded with these tassels wherever they go. Now I want to jump into the, the new covenant, the ones that this all points to the Messiah. And I'll think about what Jesus said to his disciples. Kevin, if you would, would you go to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25? Jesus takes the same mentality that God does, God the Father with the Israelites. He takes the same mentality with the disciples and the followers of of Christ. He says, in the same way after supper, he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Why? In remembrance of me. Keep going to verse 26, if you would. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he wants you to partake of the bread. He wants you to partake of the cup. Why? You do this constantly until he comes back because he wants you to remember what he's done for you and for me. And I love this. You do this until he comes back. So let's get real practical here, guys. Rich, how often 
do you guys take communion? Uh, usually it's just at church once a month. I'm going to go harsh for a second, and then I know I'm going to counter it, okay? It drives me crazy. It doesn't matter what church you're in. And I know there are some churches that do it every single week. I wonder why we don't do it every week. Like, if it's that important, if this is our tassels, so to speak, of remembrance every single day or every single week, why would we not remember more often about what he's done for us? So part of me says, well, if I don't do it in church, why don't I do it at home? I don't do it at home. The only time I've ever seen my kids take communion at home was when they were pretending church in our old house in the garage. And I go, hey guys, what are you doing? Having communion, dad. (laughs) It's like, I don't know if that's exactly what he had in mind here. (laughs) But my point is, and that's on me as the spiritual head, you know, and as I, as I, as I walk alongside this with my wife, why aren't we partaking more in remembrance of what he's done? Well, you can say on the flip side, you know, in the festivals, you know, they usually did it once a year. So Passover once a year, Feast of the Trumpets once a year. So I, I think that there's, there's this, this grace on both sides, but the difference, I think, is that Christ has radically changed our lives. He set us free. I think he deserves remembrance more than once a month. That's me. And this is not a fault against a local church. That, that's not it. That's, I'm not after that at all, or once a month or quarterly. That's me saying, you know, Kyle, how often are you really remembering what I've done, because I think that when you focus on that, it radically changes your lens throughout the day. It's a simple exercise, simple thought, but just one more. Kevin, go to Luke 22, verse 19. It's going to be the same thing as 1 Corinthians, but I just want to emphasize it in the Gospels. Luke 22, verse 19 says, And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's just face it, Old Testament or New Testament? Israelites Uh, or Americans, Jews or Gentiles, we're all forgetful. We constantly are forgetting these things in our lives, which is why I love the Joshua Stone mentality. This is why I love markers, you know, that you have. In fact, just just this morning, uh, Rich, when we were in Israel a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember, we gathered stones in the Valley of Allah where (laughs) David fought Goliath. And so we gathered, you know, these five stones. No, they're not the real ones. But I just had them on my, on my uh, fireplace, right on the mantle there. And I just, as I was walking by, instantly by seeing that, I remembered the faith of David. Instantly when I saw that, I thought, we can overcome any Goliath that's in front of us. It was just a simple reminder. I think we all need those things. And we're just talking rocks on top of a, of a mantle. And what I believe God's asking, what I believe God the Father's asking and God the Son is asking, remember what I've done in your life. So now think about this. The reason that this is important is, is because when you get into verse two, scripture talks about Moses wrote down the starting points when they went out of the land of Egypt by their military division. So here's what you're going to see, okay? Is that these starting points, uh, and these stages that are listed, like here's the language in verse three. Scripture says this, they departed from Ramesses, okay? In the first month on the 15th day of the month, on the day after the Passover, the Israelites went out triumphantly in sight of all the Egyptians. Keep going to verse four. Meanwhile, the Egyptians were burying. So as the Israelites were going away, the Egyptians were busy burying the firstborn male the Lord had struck down among them for the Lord had executed judgment against their gods. In verse five, the Israelites departed from Ramesses and camped at Sukkoth. Now I'm gonna go to this great map that our team has been working on uh, in color and all this. It's exciting. All right, Ramesses, also known as Tanis. Here you have, okay. It says that they departed from Ramesses. That's the language. And then departed. Rich, what does departed mean? That means they, they left. So Ramesses, you're leaving Egypt. You go to Sukkoth, okay? And it says that they camped out at Sukkoth. So Jeff, when we say it camped out, let's just sound it out. What does that mean, they camped? 
uh, they made tents and they stayed in it and kind of set up camp. You guys camp. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> it is a process whether you have, you know, uh, four kids, whether you have two kids, Tom's still having kids, or Rich is done having kids. Either way, whenever you come and you camp, it's a process. You go to Sukkoth, it says, and this is a camp to Etham, which is on the edge, I think this is cool, of the wilderness. Now keep going into verse 7. Scripture says, they departed from Etham, and it says they turned back, okay, to, uh, to Pihahirath, which faces Baal Zephon. Now, Baal, whenever I hear Baal, you know what I think of, right? False God. So it says that they went back to Baal Zephon. They camped before Megod. Now watch, okay? Interesting enough, then it says it goes down to all the way into, uh, into the wilderness of Etham and camped at Marah. Then they departed from Marah, came to Elam. There's 12 springs of water and 78 palms at Elam. I don't know why they wouldn't just stay there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like paradise. Springs of water, date palms at Elam. Like this is a full on resort in the, in the, near the wilderness. Oh, yeah, this is great. But then watch in verse 10. It says they departed from Elam and then they camped by the Red Sea. Now, here's the problem with all of this. When you camp by the Red Sea, uh, keep going to verse 11. It says right before they departed from the Red Sea. All right, we're going to hang out here. What you're going to see is, is that when you're at a Red Sea, you got nowhere else to go. True story. You have nowhere else to go when you're faced by the Red Sea. So you're going to have different stages throughout your life that God takes you through. The very first stage that we're going to see, Warren Wearsby calls it cycle one, not psycho, cycle one, is that it goes from Ramesses, which we know, to the Red Sea. What do you think, you guys? I'm just asking characteristics. What do you think the characteristics of the Israelites are during this time? They left, they left uh, the slavery and they're wandering through. They have occasional springs in Elam and now they're at the Red Sea. What do you think their mentality is? Well, I think some of it is just getting organized to pick up and move each time because they left kind of in a hurry. Absolutely. So there, there's no structure. There is structure. Why are we here? Yay, we're free. Now we're at Red Sea. Moses, you're awful. <laughs> you know, it's all of these emotions. But I'm telling you guys, when you think about your life, don't we all have those things? Yeah, I'm free. Oh, I hate this. Yeah, this is the best. Why am I doing this? Like, and I think that what the Lord is saying is, is do not forget I am with you. Everywhere you go, I'm with you. And we know that scripture says as they're going through this journey, how are they led? By the cloud. By the cloud. And so I love Mindy's painting. They're led by the cloud. They, their feet are on the rock. They're led by the cloud. So on land and on air, God says, I'm with you. It's a matter of if you remember that or not. Okay, it continues on in the scriptures. <clears throat> Let's go to the cycle two. Okay, so we know that from the Red Sea in verse 12, it says that in verse 11, they departed from the Red Sea and then they camped in the wilderness of sin. Don't you love like, oh yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> but this is stages that we're going to go from, okay? So you have, as Wearsby says, they're going to go into the deserts of Sinai, Sin, and Paran. Kevin, what was important about this season that we had talked about the tabernacle? In this cycle, what, did you, what, what, what starts to happen? This is where they actually get the instructions for the tabernacle. The laws start to become the play because they... God visits with Moses on the mountain. So they go from chaotic, wandering around, to now all of a sudden they're going to have some structure in this process. So can you imagine, now watch in verse 12, if you would, Kevin, can you go there? They departed from the wilderness of sin and they camped in Dafka. Now here we have Dafka over here, and then it says from Dafka, then it says they camped at Alush. 
<laughs> and then after a lush, they went to Rephidim when there was no water for the people to drink. Now, if I'm in Rephidim, I'm like, hello, let's go back to the springs. Let's go back to the palms. Like, whose idea was this for us to keep moving? But you got to remember God is with them. Okay, now just keep going. It says they departed from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. So what you're going to see is that in the first cycle, you're going to see verses 11 through 18. And then in the second cycle, you're going to see verses 18 through 25. Over and over again, they camped in the wilderness of Sinai. So then it says they departed, keep going to verse 16, they departed from the wilderness of Sinai, and then they camped at Kabrahath Hatafah. Okay? So look at all these. They just, they keep moving. How do you know? This is the craziest question. How do they know when to depart and when to camp? How do they know when to leave, you know, Rephidim and to go to Tabra? How do they know when to leave Dafka and then go to Alush? I mean, when and how did they know this? I think it's pretty clear in Numbers 9.17, whenever the cloud was lifted above the tent, The Israelites would set out at the place where the clouds stopped. There, the Israelites camped. You know, I think this is a a powerful image, crazy powerful image about how the process of depending upon the presence of God. I kind of like, kind of like hanging out of lush. (laughs) Not so many tumbleweeds here. What do you mean we got to go? Like there are some people that just probably didn't want to go. And it says in scripture, sometimes it was just the next day they're going. Sometimes it was days. Sometimes it was weeks. Sometimes, uh, you know, and I love in Numbers 9.20, it says that the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a few days. They would camp at the Lord's command. They'd have their fires and set out at the Lord's command. And then it says in verse 21, not like the brazen altar fires. We're talking like, you know, just little fires on the side with marshmallows. Sometimes the cloud remained only from one evening until morning. When the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it remained a day and a night, they moved out when the cloud lifted. I think this is mind-blowing to me, is that as they're wandering through these stages of their life, it's all dependent upon the presence of God. All of it. It doesn't matter in Numbers 9.22, whether it's two days, a month, or longer, they camped and did not set out as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. But when it lifted, they set out. Now, if there's one people group that would probably be like, "Ah!" it has to be the Kohathites. These Kohathites, guess what? They were in charge of a really important role. Can we go to the tabernacle if we can? So watch this. There's this big picture. Now imagine, as they're in the wilderness of sin and beyond, okay? After Moses has had an encounter with the Lord, guess what they're told? In this wilderness, if you want to experience the presence of God, oh, by the way, you need to pack all of this up (laughs) and I need you to move it to the next place. I need you to move it from Dafka to Alush. I need you to move it from uh, wherever, Kadash Barnea, into the next place. And and guess who gets to take care of all these little articles, holy articles in here? In the holy place, in the holy of holies, the Kohathites. Kevin, can you go to Numbers 4, verse 4? Their job, whenever the, the, the camp was moved, they had an opportunity to take care of, it says, the most holy objects. The service of the Kohathites at the tent of meeting concerns the most holy objects. And so that means they got to be careful how they load it up. And we know people died because they didn't move it properly. They didn't show the Lord respect in their moving. Well, I would be like, I'm tired of moving. Have you guys ever, when you're done camping, have you kind of like, you just cram something in? You know what I mean? You're just like, uh, just shove it in the corner over here. And it didn't fully dry. And then you pull it out and you're like, oh, why does this reek? You know, like you cut corners. Like if you cut corners as a Kohathite, you're dead. <laughs> Scripture says also, Kevin, if you would go to Numbers 10, 21, just to talk about every time they move, they had a role and a responsibility. Numbers 10, 21, it says, The Kohathites then set out 
transporting the holy objects. The tabernacle was to be set up before their arrival. So the Kohathites were coming with the holy objects. That means another whole crew was setting up the tabernacle before they even got there with the holy place items because they needed somewhere to put it. They couldn't just be like, they couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't just wait in their drive through line. Hey, what are you done in there? Like, you know, like everything needed to be set up. But the reality is, you guys, this is a lot of work. And scripture says, I don't want you to forget whatever cycle you're in, whatever stage you're in. I want you to remember I am with you. And it's an incredible picture of how God moved during the Israeli time. Kevin, if we can, let's go to cycle three. Cycle three. No, wait, hang on. Let's go to something. Rich, can you go to the, the bigger picture? Can you imagine the, the here's the ark? Can you imagine having, the, I'm sorry, can you go to the ark, the one specific? Can you imagine going to the ark and you're like, hey, this is what I have to carry. Uh, let's go to the next item. After going to the, carrying the ark, oh, by the way, you got to carry the table of showbread. But like somebody just eat this bread, please. Like I'm tired of balancing it. You know, like this whole mentality. And then let's go to the menorah, the, the, the golden lampstand. This is the thing that brings light. If you don't bring this, nothing happens in the holy place. Like all of these roles are essential. And God's saying, I don't want you to forget. As you do this, I am with you. Man, what an awesome picture. In cycle three, what you see in Numbers eight, uh, Numbers 33, 18 through 25 is here you have this, this image of the spies uh, being sent. And then it goes all the way to um, from the desert of Paran. And then that's going to be in verses 25 through 32 again. Warren Wearsby just spells out these cycles. And here's what's crazy to me is that journey from the Egyptians to the Red Sea is radically different than the spies face coming back saying, hey, guys, we can't do this. You know, like every single stage, every single cycle is going to have a different feel. And then in the cycle number four, you have the Kadash Barnea deal. And then that's where everything went crazy in Kadash, right? There's something always going wrong in Kadash. Somebody's dying. Somebody's giving a bad report. And then that goes to Araba. And then that's going to fall under uh, the umbrella of, you know, I think I wrote my verses wrong here. I did. I totally did. That's so awesome. That's verses 3 through 11. That's that. That's that. <laughs> Just remember, God's with you even if you get all your verses wrong. So, Kadash Araba, okay? So, just kind of the, the picture here. Look at this. Kadash Barnea. And look where they're going up to. Horma, Orbahoth, and it goes down Ezion, Gebar, Punin, Oboth. Uh, e.g. Abriam, like all of these different cycles, different seasons. Again, you can take the scriptures and pull them apart and say, wow, look what happened here. Then you have in cycle number five, cycle number five, you have the desert journey. Okay. And then that goes to Edom. And then interesting enough, just one major part, this is where Aaron died. And that these come into numbers uh, 33 verses 32 through 42. Okay, and then finally, cycle number six, and we know roughly most theologians would say that there are 40 to 42 stages. If you count Ramesses and you count the plains of Moab, you're going to have 42 stages. You know, wouldn't that be cool if we could just categorize our entire life based on 42 stages or 40 stages? The point is, is that if you want to communicate something to your children and to those children, to their children, like you need to be able to say, this is what God did in my life in these periods of time. I think it's actually biblical. What Moses did is a great model for all of us to do. 
Okay, the very last cycle here you have is, is that you have Punin all the way to the plains of Moab. Again, you know that these cycles are going to be different, but what he says over and over again is, is that they departed from this place, they camped at this place. They departed from this place, they camped at this place. They departed from this place, they camped in this place. They departed from this, and they camped in this place. 42 times, actually, he says, they departed from this, and this is what took place. Now, as all of this wraps up, okay, just so you guys know, uh, in the cycles, this just goes from 42 to 48. Now in 42 through 48, this is what we have. But now watch in verse 50. The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And he says, tell the Israelites when you cross into the Jordan, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan. So you know what all of this is, you guys? All of this leads to the promised land. I think that's absolutely incredible. When you begin to understand your lives, God's getting you ready for the next step. You could be in cycle one. You could be in cycle two. You could be in stage four. Whatever it is, all of this continually leads to more. And that more is, is there, sometimes it's, it's not easy. But he says, I'm going to give you this land. But when you go into the land, you must drive out the inhabitants of the land. Before you. Why? Because as we've seen, stone images, these images, all their high places, it doesn't work in any of these cycles. So I want to make sure you remember that that hasn't worked for your parents. You need to make sure that when you come into the promised land, you destroy them, you demolish them, you remove them. All of this builds on each other. And then it says in verse 53, you're to take possession of the land, settle it, because I've given you the land. I'm giving you this promised land that I have talked about in Genesis 12, 3. 12, 1 through 3. By the way, Abraham's going to be given land, and this is what you're going to walk into. So be confident in what you're going to give, receive. In verse 54, it says, and oh, by the way, you're going to receive the land as an inheritance. You know what that means? Yes, you're going to have to work for it in the sense of clearing the house, but the land, I'm just giving it to you. It is an inheritance. Verse 55, but if you don't do what I've asked you to do, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land, in other words, I'm giving you the land, but I'm actually asking you to do a couple things. I want you to listen to the word of God. I want you to remember my words so that when you get rid of them, you won't have to have thorns in your eyes or in your sides. You won't have to be harassed in the land by people. I'm already preparing the way. Just do what I'm asking you to do. For 40 years, guess what? If you followed the cloud, I'd take you where you need to go. If you follow the cloud, I will get you where you need to go. If you listen to the words that I've promised, I will get you there. Now just trust me again. And I love this because it's pretty clear. If you don't, though, it says in verse 56, and what I plan to do them, do to them, I will do to you. In other words, if you do not listen and clear out the inhabitants, the same problems are going to happen to you. At some points, I might even bring a plague. I might even be destruction. The point is, I need you to be different, not like them. And how does this all happen? It goes to me for, for one simple verse. All, all of this to me leads to one verse. That's it. Romans 8, verse 14. You know, to me, when you're in the wilderness, whatever stage you're in, maybe you're in the lush uh, springs of water. It doesn't matter. You still need to be aware of what God is doing and how he's speaking to you in your life. And Romans 8, 14 says, all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. You know what that means? It means that we, in today's world, in the new covenant, depending upon Christ, as we remember the death, burial, and resurrection, because of that, we now have the Spirit of God inside of us. If you don't depend upon the Holy Spirit, if you're not led by the Holy Spirit, what are you doing with your walk with Christ? I'm telling you, there's so much more in your life that God has in store if you depend upon the Holy Spirit. 
Why do you think John the Baptist says, the one that after me comes and he's going to baptize you by the Holy Spirit and he's going to baptize you by fire, with fire? I think God wants us to experience more of his presence. I think all of that imagery in the Old Testament, he now then puts inside of you. That's how we get through stages. That's how we get through life to the next phase. And I'm, I'm not going to promise you that it's going to be easy. Anybody that tells you walking with Jesus, depending upon the Spirit, allowing the fire to take place in your life is, is easy, it's, it's a lie. I promise you that this wilderness journey was, was actually pretty hard, moving constantly. But when you depend upon and trust on the Lord, guess what He wants? He wants you to do that. He wants you to trust and depend upon Him. And it's His leading, not yours, not mine. All right, guys, that's Numbers 33. Lord willing, uh, you're blessed from it. And we'll talk about Numbers 34 tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.